me to John chapter 13. That's John chapter 13. I have a lot of scripture to cover, so I'm going to ask that you bear with me. But I tend to cover it fairly quickly. So uh, every time I speak, when we get in the car, I ask my wife, I'm like, hey, you know what, how do you think that went? And every time without fail, she says that I'm, I talk too fast. So uh, I've got, I'm going to try to sit down this time. I think that'll help. But I want to start tonight by talking a little bit about what it is exactly that we do here. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but we come to church week in and week out, and uh, some for very different reasons. Some of you may, may come because you, you like the music that we play. Uh, some of you may come because you think Josh is really good looking. And some of you just may come because you, you, know, you like to sweat or whatever it is. The, whatever the reasons are that you come... Um, I don't, I don't know what they are, but I do know what we in leadership here at The Ring, uh, what we are praying and what we want for you to leave here with. And uh, it may be different than, than what you find at other churches. I think one of, the, one of the things that we, one of the ways that we see this gathering is that it's a gathering of the saints. It's a gathering of believers that come into this building and get equipped, get filled up, uh, get ministered to here so that they can go out into the world and, and, and be their own ministers. And, 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 and the people that, whether they go into the classroom, or they go into law offices, doctor's offices, wherever it is that you go, we hope that you take what you learn here out into that world and that you bring the love of Christ with you. And um, I think one of the things, we, we don't have a lot of attractions here at the ring. We don't have our own building. We don't have functioning air conditioning. We don't have a lot of things that you might find at, at a lot of churches. And I think some people may come here and, and get kind of frustrated. They may come here because we don't have a long list of, of different things for you to maybe get involved in. We, we really rely on you all um, to come up with things, that, the things that God has shown you, to use those in your daily life as ministry. Uh, but one thing I think we do well here is, is community. I think we live life together, and I think that is one of the, uh, the, main, the main reasons why God continues to grow our body. And, uh, and, and make us effective ministry, ministers in the city of Baton Rouge. We don't have a large staff. So like I said, we rely on you all to leave here and be ministers in this community. Um, and so from someone who doesn't get to speak often, uh, maybe once or twice a year, when I was praying about what God would have me talk about tonight, um, I, I was asking that it be something that they can take with them for the rest of the year or however long it is uh, until we meet again. And so what I feel like tonight I have for you is, is what I think, according to John Ringo, uh, the most important tool that you have in your tool chest, toolbox, to be an effective minister. If we are relying on you to be our ministers out in this community, what we're going to talk about tonight is what I think is the most effective tool that you have, and that is love. I think that whatever we do, whatever ministry you get involved in, if it doesn't come from an attitude and a basis of love, we are failing miserably. And I think one of the reasons why I think uh, it's so important that we talk about this is that the church, us included, ha have missed this point in the past. I think that oftentimes, um, in an effort to fight different issues 
or stand up for what we believe in or tackle different aspects or get involved in different aspects of daily life, we've missed the point that it is all supposed to be about love. That when Je wherever Jesus went, whatever Jesus did, he ministered with love. Um, there's a guy named Tim Stevens, who's a pastor and an author. He wrote a book called Pop Goes the Church. And in that book, he, yeah, he talked about how the church uh, can take what's going on in culture and, and, and use that in its ministry. It can, it can make themselves more and more relevant by embracing certain aspects of culture. And that's something that the church has tended to shy away from. Um, one of the things that stood out to me, I, I read the book Da Vinci Code. This is going to, I mean, it's years ago, five years ago, I guess now, uh, when that book came out. And I don't know if y'all remember, but it, it was a firestorm uh, among the country, but also among churches, not really knowing how do we handle this book. And in that book, he talked a lot about, uh, he had some crazy, crazy uh, thoughts about, about the history of the church and, and Jesus himself. And um, I remember I went to hear a pastor talk, and one of the things that stood out to me was that the reason that book was so popular was one, because it was just a page turner. There's no doubt about it. But another reason why I think that book was so popular is because there is something about the church as an institution that scares people. There's something that when people outside of this building, outside of this community, that when they see, when they see what goes on, when they see what goes on in other churches, maybe more historical churches, it is something that is shady. It's closed off. It's got walls around it. It's scary. And I think we are to blame for part of that as Christians, not necessarily us in this room, big C church, capital C church, that we are to blame for a little bit of that because I think what we've done, and you may agree or disagree with me, but what I think we've done is we've tended to wall ourselves off. We've, we've built these bigger and better Christian life centers. We've, we've come up with all these things for Christians to do. We've huddled ourselves up together and we jump up and down and we scream that we're the salt of the earth when we can spend months and months having never had a serious conversation or come into contact with anyone that might not think like we do. And I think that is a shame because that's not at all what Jesus did. In his book, uh, Pop Goes the Church, this guy Tim Stevens talks about how the unchurched today have six negative images of Christians. One, that we're hypocritical. Two, that we're too focused on getting converts. We're homophobic. We're sheltered. We're too political. And we're judgmental. I think if you look at what the media images that you see on, on, about Christians today, I can understand how someone would have that image of Christians. And I hope that you will join with me in an effort to change that. In society today, Christians need to be seen as loving, strong, steadfast in what we believe in, but that we are people of love. I'm going to read a quick quote from this guy's book. He says, I think the followers of Christ began to realize some time ago, perhaps subconsciously, that more and more people were pursuing God through culture instead of through the church. Because of this, Christians entered into a season of boycotts, petitions, and blacklists. Like an animal looking for its next meal, the church was driven blindly by, and obsessively by two primary goals. First, protect ourselves from the culture at all costs. So rather than prepare our children to engage, discern, and make good choices, we put our hands over their eyes and our fingers in their ears. However, through the internet and news media, Culture was still able to invade our homes. Unfortunately, our kids were ill-prepared to deal with it. Our second goal was to use our combined Christian power to legislate and pressure the culture to change to reflect our values. But society 
has changed little, and our efforts have served to further ostracize us and give every follower of Christ the feared stereotypical tag of extremist or fundamentalist. Now, some of you may look at that and say, that's not me. I'm not hypocritical. I'm not judgmental. I'm not, I'm not focused on getting converts. I'm not homophobic. That's not me at all. And I'm, I'm, I may agree with you 100%. But we, got, we need, as, as believers in this room, we need a promise to, to counterbalance what's going on in our culture. The, media, the images that people see every day concerning Christians need to be countered by godly people that love those that God puts in their lives, that stands up for what they believe in in a loving way. Now see, it's not your fault. It's not all your fault. There's a pastor named Fred Phelps up in Kansas. And he has taken it upon himself to boycott and petition and uh, a petition, um, military funerals and picket military funerals and um, very, very against homosexuals and goes about it in the most uh, horrible way by holding up signs. And, and uh, there's, there's pastors that have said that, that Katrina was God flushing New Orleans of its sin. Um, and there's, there's pastors like Ted Haggard that have been very vocal in the way and what they feel about certain issues only to come out in time and everyone find out that they have these, uh, they're living these double lives. I mean, the Christians that the media puts up in front of the world have done you and I a disservice. And it is up to us to change that. So the point of my message is love tonight. So turn with me to John 13, 34. I think you already did that, but let me get there. John 13, starting in verse 34. This is Jesus. Now, he's predicted that Peter's going to betray him. They have had the, uh, the Last Supper. He is about to be crucified. And this is what he says in verse 34. A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. To me, when someone thinks of you, if they know you are a believer in Christ, they know you come to the Ring Community Church. It is my prayer that they will say, you know what? That guy loves me. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he has love, grace, and mercy in his heart. And when he, when he interacts with me, no matter what the issue is that we're discussing, he comes with a heart of love. Turn now to 1 John chapter 4. And this is where we're going to camp out a little bit tonight. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This love, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his, his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete 
among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but love drives out fear. The one who fears is, made, is not made perfect in love. Now, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, to me, throughout the scriptures, pick your book in the New Testament. The Bible is clear that we are to love one another. We are to love the people that God has placed in our lives. I don't care what you think about them. I don't care what they may do. I don't care what kind of life, lifestyle they may lead. We are called to love them above all else. Now, that is way more difficult to me than it sounds because people will wrong you. People lead lives of sin. They throw their sin in your face. And it is easy to stand up, to get strong, to fight back, to prove them wrong, that you're right and they're wrong. And if they just could see how great your life is, they will change their ways and live like you. But oftentimes we go about that the wrong way. We go about that with a spirit of condemnation rather than a spirit of love. And that is not what God has called us to do. In fact, he's told us the exact opposite. Now, so love. We're supposed to love. Clear, John, easy. I know I'm called to love. I know I'm called to love others. But what does that mean? Because I look at the very different aspects of love throughout my life, whether it's your first girlfriend, Jennifer Curley, six years old, we kissed on a float, we were in love, we had made it official in sixth grade, and then she dumped me for a guy named Landon Lott Dowden, and I didn't love her anymore. And that was the end of that. But I'm telling you, at 12 years old in the sixth grade, I was in love. There was not a doubt in my mind that nine, 10, 15 years from then, we were gonna get married, we were gonna start a family, and then within three months, that love was gone. And throughout my life, I can see examples of how I would think I knew exactly what love was. And it, within months, it was, it was completely changed. And then I met my wife, who I started to understand what it meant to have unconditional love. And then I had, my son was born. And someone told me one time that I always knew my parents loved me. But when I had my own children, I realized how much they loved me. And I think that's so true, that if we're going to love, if we're going to love like God loves, which is what 1 John is calling us to do, that we are to love others with the love of God, then we need to know a little bit about what that love is. And that love is unconditional. That love is its action. As DC Talk so eloquently put it, love is a verb. Love is about commitment, and love is unconditional. It's not what you see on The Bachelor. It is not what you see... On most TV shows today, love goes above and beyond the flavor of the week. It goes above and beyond what, what other people do. And that's so important that we understand that. Because if we're going to love, we have to love with God's unconditional agape love. And here's why. There are people out there that see all the other kinds of love. They know exactly what that kind of love is, the fleeting, emotional, uh, time-constrained love. What they probably has, have never seen is, is God's love. And that is where you have extreme responsibility. We bear that burden of showing God's love to the people we come into contact with. So here's a few things that I think God's love is. Number one, God's love is accepting. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. 
starting in verse 9. It says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and, quote, sinners, they have quotes there, quote, sinners, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. Every one of us needs to read this little passage and decide who in this story we want to be. Do we want to be like Jesus, or do we want to be like the Pharisees? And I think more times than we would admit, I know I'm guilty of it, we fall on the side of the Pharisees. We look at people who, who lead their certain lives and go out and minister and, and, and are, have deep relationships with people that lead lifestyles we may not agree with, and we talk bad about them, we condemn them, we judge them. We're so quick to notice that speck in their eye when all the times we need to be praying for them that God would hold them up and would use those relationships that he's given them to minister and to share his love. But it's so easy for us, and the church today, I think, has often cited, has often fallen on, on, on the side of the Pharisees. And that is a shame, because I think a lot of times in the way that we interact with different groups, I think if Jesus were alive today, he would be saying some of the th same things that he said to the Pharisees, he would be saying to the church today. Like saying, guys, you're missing the point. I have come into this world to save those very people that you have walled off and that you have, you have separated yourself from. We need to break down those walls and get out there because there's a dying world that needs it. So one, God's love is accepted. I'll give you a quick example. Homosexuals. I don't know if some of you, you may, it may be so far removed from you, that lifestyle, that you, you, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you may deal with it every day of your life. But I think this is one aspect where regardless of what you think about the lifestyle, we as Christians have got to be people of love. We have to start with love. Because I, I, was, I was doing some research on this, and this is one issue to me that I really struggle with as, as a Christian. I, I, really, I, I, I don't really know exactly how we as Christians are supposed to deal with it. I think it is something that we are going to have to get right. But I do know this, I want to treat homosexuals the way I think Jesus would treat homosexuals. And we have an example, not of homosexuality and how he dealt with that, but we have an example in scripture. So turn with me to John chapter 8. I'm going to kind of paraphrase this. I hope it's a story that you know. Feel free to read along. John chapter 8, starting in verse 3. This is the story of Jesus with the woman caught in, caught in adultery. Let me just break it down for you. Here's what happened. Jesus and his disciples were walking along. The Pharisees knew this Jesus. They knew the message that he was bringing. Uh, and they, they, they wanted to catch him. He was a rabbi. He was a student of the Jewish law. He knew what that law was. And they wanted to catch him. They wanted to put him in a pickle, so to speak. So they brought this woman that witnesses, they knew this woman was caught in adultery. They found her. They brought her before Jesus. They were like, Jesus... What should we do? Now, when reading this story, I, I kind of work in politics, so I wonder a lot of time about like your overall message and what that should be. And 
you know, you're trying to stick to these issues and you should, you know, always stay on message, stay on message. Uh, that's, that's always the key. So Jesus, who is, who, is, who is here, confronted with this issue, this woman who was clearly caught in adultery, clearly should be stoned to death right there on the spot, according to Jewish law, which he was a student, of which he was a teacher. Jesus, to me, had no choice there. Why didn't he use this instance to show the value of the, the family, to show how adultery was crippling the families of Jerusalem, to show that this woman was wrong and she needed to be punished. Why didn't he use that platform when everybody was looking to prove that this lady was in the wrong? He could have. He would have been completely justified in doing it, but he didn't. He knelt down on the ground and he started drawing in the sand. Now, it doesn't tell us what he was drawing. We have no idea. I like to think, and, and I'm sure there are plenty of biblical scholars that would tell me I'm wrong, but there were all these Pharisees there that were ready to condemn this woman, and Jesus starts drawing in the sand. I like to think that he was writing down maybe a date, maybe a woman's name, something that would have meant something to those Pharisees that were there before him. And maybe when they saw that, they thought of something that in their past that they could be stoned to death for. I don't know if that's true, but all he did was he drew in the stand and he stood up and he said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. I think we can take that example that what Jesus did in that instance into our daily lives. Maybe we're not going to be confronted with stoning an adulterous woman ever. I hope not. But you're going to be confronted with someone who is trying to throw something in your face and they're watching how you're going to react. And I think whatever your reaction is, make sure that it is bathed, cloaked, covered in love and grace and mercy the same way Jesus was because it's important because people are watching how you react to different issues that come up in society today. So number one, God's love is accepting. Whether it's poor people that come in, they may smell bad, it doesn't matter. God has called us to reach out to the sick, to the hurting, and to be his love and his passion and his grace to a dying world. So I don't care, pick your issue. I can remember, I, I can remember when Katrina hit, I was traveling, he was a congressman at the time, I was traveling around with him, and uh, we, we, they had this thing called uh, PRC, it was Pastors Resources Council. It was all these pastors in the area um, that, that were, were meeting to decide how they were going to act during the hurricane. And I know we tend to get down on, on poor people that they're, they're bringing down the system, that they're, 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 they're dregs of society, that they're, they're feeding off the government, and you know, we, need to, we need to do something about it. Well, it's funny because we go there, and, and they had a couple of government officials at this meeting talking about everything. You know, the gov government was going to set up these shelters. The government was going to bring in the, the sick and the poor and, and the, the hungry and feed them. And one of the pastors stood up, and I thought it was great. I don't even remember who it was. But he stood up and he said, guys, when did we think or when did we all decide that it was the government's role to meet these people's needs? This is our time to shine. If we do our jobs, there won't be any need for government services out there at all. Guys, that means a lot to me. I think we as a church, we as a body need to decide that we will not rest until there are no more poor, no more hungry, no more hurting people in Baton Rouge. It's a lofty goal, but it is the goal that we're called to. That we can't sit back idly by and say, you know what, someone else is going to take care of it. Because that's one more wall that we're building up between us, the people that, are, that have the love, the unconditional agape love, and the people that need it. It is our responsibility. So one, God's love is accepting. Number two, God's love is forgiving. 
turn back to 1 John chapter 4, where we were. If you're getting tired of flipping, I can totally understand. Dave, you want to just stick it up on the screen. 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Turn quickly to Matthew. One more quick story. Turn quickly with me to Matthew chapter 18. Chapter 18, starting in verse 23. This to me, if you struggle with forgiveness and how, how often you should forgive, what if they keep coming back with their, with their lifestyle and they throw it in my face and, and they've wronged me? How should I forgive? I'm going to read this quickly, so just bear with me. But this is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Jesus says in verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is, I love it, one sentence. Jesus sums all that up. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Loving people unconditionally is difficult. Why? Because people mess up. I, if you leave here today and say, you know what? Tomorrow, no matter what happens, no matter what people say, no matter how mean someone is to me, I'm going to respond in love. It will be before lunch, I promise you, it, when someone wrongs you, says something snide, makes you feel bad about yourself, whatever that may be, it is going to happen. If you think that we're going to love just as, as other people love us, we are going to fail miserably, but that's not what we're called to do. We are to love just as Christ has loved us. And what Jesus is, what, what, what Jesus is saying here is, I, I am going to die on the cross. You are going to be forgiven so much. I'm going to wipe away clean every sin in your life for you to turn around, to take that grace and then turn around and treat people with anything but love and grace would be a slap in the face to the man who died on the cross. And Jesus says here clearly that this is how our, that the Heavenly Father is going to treat us exactly how we treat other people. So be careful as you go up and you try to put conditions on your love for everyone you come into contact with. I'll love them as long as they don't do this. I'll love them as long as they follow this strict criteria of what I think a person should do. If we, if we live that way, we are going to fail. 
So number two, God's love is forgiving. Third and finally, God's love lifts other people up. God's love is encouraging. God's love is passionate. It's exciting. It's not down all the time. And I think we as Christians tend to have this attitude that we're always dealing with stuff. We're always going through some struggle. I think we need some enthusiasm. I think if we're going to go out and love others, we need to be excited, passionate, likable people. Be careful, though, how you, how you go about becoming likable. I'm just talking about having some enthusiasm about your life. Some of you may absolutely hate your jobs. Some of you may just be depressed every time you go to work. And you show that depression throughout the entire day. You may have a a, a huge test coming up, those of you in school. And you may take that burden and nobody wants to talk to you. Nobody wants to be around you. Nobody wants to mention any word to you because they may set you off. That is not the kind of love that we are supposed to have. That is not that godly love. We are to be living, building others up. We are to be people of enthusiasm, of love, of encouragement. People should want to be around Christians. And I hate to say that that's often not the case. We need to be people of love. So, God's love requires complete dependence on him. He requires us to go out and be people of love no matter what we do. Now, some of you are going to hate me for this. But we've come now to the audience participation point of our program. So, I'm going to come down here so I can see you guys. Can, can you all still hear me? Yeah. All right. I'm going to need a couple of volunteers so, someone who wouldn't mind standing up and playing a small part for me really quickly. I promise not to make you hate your life. So, nobody all at once. Phil, thank you so much. All right, you in the back. Jensen, stand up. Yeah, that's great. This will work. Okay, y'all can just stay where you are. That's fine. Oh, Phil, I'm sorry. Whatever. Okay, we are going to pretend for a second that we are firemen, Okay. I know. Yeah, get excited. Jensen's already got it down. All right. We are firemen. Now, and everyone knows that the role, the job of a fireman is to fight fires, right? So say it with me. What is the role of a fireman? Fight fires. Exactly. Okay. Now, on our fireman team, we've got Phil. Phil, his responsibility is to drive the truck. So Phil, I want you to drive that truck for me. All right. So Phil is driving the truck. All right. Say, everybody, what is Phil's job? Phil drives the truck. All right. We got that. All right. I'm sorry, I don't, what's, what's your name in the back? Dex. All right, Dex's job is to hold the hose. Dex, I want you to hold that hose and work it. Dex is putting out the fire. All right, so everybody, what is Dex's job? Hold the hose. Jensen, you're going to be the Dalmatian of the group. So I need you to give me a good, hearty bark. All right. So Jensen, Jensen is, that's excellent, Jensen, thank you. Jensen is, is, the, is the, the fireman's dog. So what is Jensen's role? He's the dog. Okay. I love you. Thank you. Okay. So what's Phil's job? We all remember? Drive the truck. Dex? Hold the hose. Jensen? Fireman's dog. But remember, thank you guys. Y'all are great. Let's give them a quick round of applause. But remember, remember that we said at the beginning that the role of a fireman is to fight fires. And my point is this. When you leave here, no matter what issue you want to tackle, no matter how you get bogged down in your everyday life, whether it's driving the truck, holding the hose, or barking like a dog, or going into your daily classroom, or taking on a particular issue that might be relevant to you, never forget that above all else, 
our overall role is to love with Christ's love. So pray with me. Thank you all so much. Dear God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for what you've called us to. God, and it is my prayer that we would be known at the Ring Community Church as a people of love. God, that we would be enthusiastically loving anyone that you would send our way. God, that if you know someone that needs love, God, that you would, make, you would bring them to us. God, because we want to love them as you would love them. That is my prayer. I pray for my brothers and sisters as they go out into the world, and that task becomes very difficult. God, I pray that you lift them up, that you wrap them in your wings, and you force us to be people of love. In your name I pray. Amen.